Good morning, New Vision Online. It's so good to be with you today. I'm just so happy to be alive. First and foremost, I want to say welcome once again to New Vision Online. I know many people are watching from a variety of places, whether it's your mobile device or your living room. On behalf of me and the rest of the New Vision family, I want to say welcome to today's online broadcast of our Sunday service. For those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Dexter Upshaw. I'm the senior pastor of New Vision. And let me tell you something, I miss meeting in person. But I am so glad that we have the ability to connect via this format. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today's going to be a phenomenal day of diving into God's word. I want to take a moment to say thank you to the praise and worship team for their ministry um, and what they presented for us today. Um, I also want to acknowledge a couple of things. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to those who came out earlier this week. We adopted a food pantry here in the city of Bridgeport. It's the Bishop Gene Williams Food Pantry that's run by the Park City Initiative and by our friends, Pastor Lenny and Pastor Mary Green of Amazing Grace Church. So shout out to those who came and served. That's going to be a continual mission that we're going to help. Um, and in the midst of this time of crisis, we're trying to do our best to be the body of Christ. We've not been placed in the earth to have church, but we are called to be the church. And part of being the church is taking care of one another in times of crisis and of need. So I wanna thank those of you who've been faithful to continue giving to the mission of this church. Even though we're apart, we are together virtually, and we are together based on the mandate and the calling of Christ. Go ye therefore and make disciples of the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, oh yeah, by the way, as we broadcast now, we are broadcasting to the nations. There are people all across the country and perhaps all across the world who are watching this broadcast. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. I know there's so much going on in the world, and my hope is today that through this message, that this will be a message of hope. And for a title today, I want to talk about what it means for us to be ready. When it's all said and done, as your pastor, I want you to be ready for anything. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The coronavirus has disrupted our daily lives. And this gathering right now, the fact that we're online is just proof of that. Everything has changed. Many of you are watching from home um, and you're working from home and you're in this new normal, your kids are at home, it has disrupted every aspect of life. And the coronavirus has not just affected the health of people, it's affected our ability to connect socially. There's this term that we've all learned called social distancing that we're practicing even right now. It has disrupted world economies. It has disrupted markets. It's disrupted local governments, it's disrupted federal governments, and right now it's disrupting the entire United States of America. Coronavirus has changed everything for us within just a matter of weeks. Here's some of the things that it has changed actually for the good. The coronavirus has caused many of us to spend more time with our family. I know for me personally in the Upshaw household, we're all working from home. None of us really go out except for me. I go out periodically during the week to get groceries and necessities. But outside of that, we're stuck with one another. And it's been great, honestly. It's been phenomenal to be able to wake up uh, with my family, to spend time with my kids, to help them with their schoolwork during the day, to spend creative time with them 
in the evenings and to eat dinner together has been a treat. And I think most evenings um, I've been able to sit with my family and eat dinner with them, which usually in our regular schedule doesn't work that often because oftentimes I'm having to be at meetings and stuff later in the evening. So it's been a benefit to our family. I know for me personally, I've had the opportunity to sleep in um, and to get some additional rest, um, to spend some time with the Lord that I didn't have before because everything else is shut down. That's been a benefit of the coronavirus. Some of you guys prayed for a vacation this year. God didn't bless you with a vacation, but he did bless you with a staycation. He's giving you the opportunity to rest and to recuperate from all of the hustle and the bustle of this world. He's furloughed you. He's taking you away from your regular schedule so that you can ultimately spend more time with him. And I think that's the the end result that I'm most excited about is spending more time with the Lord as he's completely disrupted our schedules. But of course, not all of the impacts of the coronavirus have been good. There have been some very difficult things that are happening in the midst of our world. Uh, Today, as you watch this broadcast, chances are, one, that you know someone who has tested positive or is showing symptoms for COVID-19. And then also the grim reality is that you probably know of someone who has passed from COVID-19, whether it's a well-known public figure or whether or not it's someone that's in your family or maybe someone that's close to someone that you're close to. These are the realities of what's going on in the midst of our culture and our society as we deal with the coronavirus. Um, As I read the news, I see that hospitals are beginning to get overwhelmed. Doctors and medical professionals, they're concerned about their ability to get the proper protective equipment so that they can meet the demand of all these people who are now dealing with the physical ramifications of this virus. And to be quite honest with you, based on the statistics and based on how they track this thing, it seems as if it's going to get worse before it gets better. So the question on the table is, how do we as believers deal with this? How do we deal with all of the trouble surrounding our culture? But also, how do we deal with the bittersweet realities at hand? So on one hand, I'm spending more time with my family. On one hand, I'm getting the luxury of spending more time with the Lord, even though we can't gather. I've got more space to hear from him and to spend time with him. On one hand, I woke up this morning and and both of my kids were healthy. My wife was healthy. The the baby that my wife is carrying is healthy. Uh, My my sister is healthy. Uh, My siblings, when I called and checked on them, they're healthy. My parents are healthy. You know, on one hand, there are good things that we are celebrating in this moment. But on the other hand, somebody woke up this morning and they lost someone that was very close to them. On the other hand, there's someone who's been working two or three shifts as a healthcare worker and they're tired, but they're motivated by mission to help people. So in spite of their tiredness and in spite of the risk of being on the front lines, they're getting up this morning to go and to serve their community with no promise that they're going to make it to tomorrow. How do we deal with these tensions? On one hand, we can pray that things will get better. But on the other hand, we have to prepare just in case things get worse. As believers, how do we deal with this tension? I was watching a video the other night from our presiding bishop, Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin. He introduced um, introduced a term that I hadn't heard before. Um, The term is called antinomy. 
antinomy. Antinomy is this. Antinomy is the contradiction between two beliefs or conclusions that in themselves are reasonable. So when you're dealing with antinomy, you've got two options that are seemingly polar opposites and both of them are reasonable. Let me give you an example. As a believer, it is reasonable for us to pray for a miracle. Why? Because we have the Holy Scriptures. And throughout the Holy Scriptures, we saw God perform miracles time and time again. For us as believers, this is not myth. This is not a fairy tale that we're reading. We believe in the God of miracles. So it's reasonable for us as believers to believe in miracles in one hand. But on the other hand, we have to deal with the reality that people do die. We have to deal with the reality that sometimes we pray for a miracle and the miracle doesn't occur the way that we want it to occur. And so we've got these two beliefs. We believe that God is a healer, but we also know that one day everybody will have to pass from this life to the next through death. And so as believers, how do we weigh this tension? How do we navigate this? On one hand, we believe in God's power to heal. I'm praying that God would stop this virus, that we would see some supernatural news. I check the headlines every morning when I get up after I've spent time on our daily prayer call, um, after I've spent time with the Lord. I check my phone to see how's this thing tracking. And I'm praying, I'm praying and believing and hoping that this will not be as long as they've said it has the potential to be. I'm praying for supernatural miracles that we would see some breakthrough in technology, some breakthrough in treatment that would spare lives and and cause us to get past this tough time. I'm praying and I'm believing God for that. I want it to happen. But we can't ignore the statistics of what is happening as we pray for something to happen. And sometimes Christians are, are accused of being escapist. And we're accused of being so focused on um, a supernatural result that we ignore the realities at hand. And all I'm saying is that today, church, we have to be balanced. And our heart has to be in the right place as we deal with these tensions. And as we seek the face of the Lord in the midst of all of this, we have to have a response for this culture because people need hope. But they don't need false hope. They need the type of hope that can carry them through the most difficult time, perhaps in this past century for this country. They need a hope that's bigger than their birthday and their death date. They need an eternal hope. And church, that's why we are here. We are the body of Christ. We hold a message that can change the world, that can save souls. And so the question is, how do we carry this message? It starts with what we believe. It starts with our core beliefs about who God is, his internal goodness and his eternal goodness, his character, his attributes. It it starts with our belief as to who God is, as to what happens next once we leave this place called Earth. It gets to the core of what we believe about the gospel. And for those of you who are walking with the Lord, you've committed your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whether you've been walking with him for a long time or maybe you just got saved recently, it's my heart's desire as a pastor that you know and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you understand the gospel, you can navigate this. 
If you understand the gospel, that you can hold on to the cross, even in the midst of the suffering, even as we, in one hand, we pray for supernatural deliverance. And on the other hand, we deal with the realities of what we see in the news and in our communities. If the gospel is at the center, then we have a hope that cannot be shaken. So today, I want us to walk through scripture. And I hope that during this time of social distancing, during this time of quarantine, that you are becoming reacquainted with your Bibles. So even now, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. If you have a physical Bible, grab it, grab a pen, grab a pencil, grab a highlighter. And I want you to walk through this scripture and take notes because I believe that the comfort that we need in this hour as the church is in his scriptures. God has already provided us what we need to get through this and is found in the sacred text. And today I want to walk through John chapter 11. This is the story about a man named Lazarus who had died and his sisters went to Jesus to ask for some form of mercy or a miracle. And I want to walk through this scripture because I believe that there's some things that we can take from this text to help us as we navigate what's happening in our world today. Let's go ahead and start and look at verse number one. Scripture says, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, these are the first three verses of John chapter 11. They establish relationship. We see that Jesus was going to have to respond to someone that he knew. Jesus would walk the land and he would heal various people. And many times they were strangers. There are many times in the Gospels where we see him encountering someone. That person receives healing and we don't even know their name. But this moment is special because these are three people that Jesus knows. And the scripture indicates that he loved them. This was not some random person looking for a miracle. This was Jesus' friends. They were looking for him to act on their behalf. Verse 4 says, When Jesus heard this about Lazarus, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, based on that statement, it seems like Jesus is about to perform a miracle. He says the glory of God is about to happen. This sickness is not unto death. Now, when we read it, if we haven't read the rest of the passage, we would think that Jesus is about to perform a miracle to prevent Lazarus from dying. But Jesus' ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It's interesting because we don't see Jesus rushing back to deal with Lazarus' sickness. In fact, verse 5, the scripture says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is reaffirming the relationship that he has with her. But look at verse 6. This is kind of odd to me. In verse 6, he says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now I want you to think about the times that you've gotten a call that someone in your family that's close to you was sick or in a car accident or needed help. I'll never forget one day, my wife and I, we were traveling from a retreat. I think it was in Pennsylvania. It was for an organization 
that we were a part of. It was a ministry conference, and we were probably like five or six hours away. While we were away, uh, there were some folks who were watching our two children, Zoe and Dexter. And we had learned that Zoe had fallen in the playground and hit her head. And those folks who were watching our daughter were concerned that, that she needed to go to the emergency room. I'll never forget the feeling of needing to drive as fast as we could to get from Pennsylvania back to Bridgeport so that we could check on our child. When someone that you know and love is hurting, it is your instinct. It is our humanly instinct. It is in our humanity to want to try to get there as fast as we could. But in this moment, we see Jesus doing something that is distinctly divine and which is not like our human rationale. He decides to delay. And the scripture says it's because of Lazarus' condition that he chooses to stay two more days in place where he was. For many of you that are watching right now, that sounds frustrating because we want a God who responds to us when we call. The, the God that we desire is one who moves when we request for him to move. The, the God that we want is someone who responds instantaneously. I mean, we, we have a picture of a wonderful God that when we call on him, Abba, he's there. But sometimes God doesn't move in the timing that we want. Lazarus was sick and Jesus intentionally delayed by two days. The question is, how do we deal with all of this? I mean, how do we deal with the reality that we serve a God who would choose to delay in the midst of calamity? How do we respond when God delays our breakthrough? How do we respond when the person that we love dies on Jesus' watch. Because that's exactly what happened to Lazarus. Look at verse 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Didn't Jesus just say a few verses earlier that the glory of God was going to be revealed and now he's saying that Lazarus is dead? And then he takes it a, a step further. In verse 15, he says, and, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Uh, it, 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 it's hard to imagine why Jesus would choose this method. So we got to continue reading the scripture so we can get an understanding of exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate in this action. Let's jump to verse 20. Now, this is Jesus after he travels back to where Lazarus is. In verse 20, we see Martha coming towards him. This is one of Lazarus' sisters. And verse 20 says, As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming and went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been there, if you had come when we called for you, then my brother wouldn't be dead. It's hard to tell if she's saying this comment with some shade. Or if she's just making a statement of fact because she believed that Jesus had miraculous power. Either way you read it, you see that it's a statement of disappointment. I can imagine that in Martha's head, 
She was just imagining, Jesus, if you would have gotten there. She was probably replaying the decline of her brother as he went from being sick to gravely ill and now being deceased. She's looking at the one person who could change it, shaking her head, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22 continues. But this is what she says. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, I want you to see what Martha says, because in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again and the resurrection of the last day. Do you see the paradox of Martha's belief? On one hand, Jesus, I know that you can do anything. On one hand, Jesus, I know that you can raise my brother from the dead. But on the other hand, if you don't raise him up right now, I know that I will see him again because you will raise him up later. This reasonable belief that Jesus, I've seen you perform miracles and I know that you can perform a miracle right now. But on the other hand, the reasonable belief that if you choose not to perform this miracle, I know that based on what you've been teaching as the Messiah, that through the resurrection, I will see my brother, again. What's my point? Family, we have to be ready for anything in this hour. On one hand, we believe that God can heal. And I'm pleading the blood of Jesus regarding the coronavirus over my family, over my household. Daily, I'm praying for you, my family, my church family, New Vision. I'm praying that God would spare your lives, that he would keep you safe from this virus, which is ravaging the world. That's my prayer. And I'm praying it in belief. I'm praying that God will perform a miracle over everyone that's connected to me. I've already heard testimonies of miracles, people who have contracted this virus that are a few degrees of separation, who are in the process of recovering because this virus doesn't automatically mean that you're going to die. There have been miracles already. I guarantee you that there are miracles, that there are testimonies of people who got the coronavirus. I was reading an article the other day. There was a woman in her 90s. Her doctors had already written her off and she's recovered from the coronavirus. Defying the odds. Just because you're older and you get this virus doesn't mean that it's a death sentence because we serve a God who is still performing miracles. And I am praying and I am believing in miracles in this moment. In one hand, paradox of belief. But, but on the other day, and on the other hand, I, I, I understand that tomorrow is not promised. On the other hand, while I'm praying for healing, while I'm praying for supernatural deliverance and covering and protection, on the other hand, I know that if I die today from this virus, I, I know that if I lose my life hopping into my car, and driving on the interstate. I know that if for some reason, for some freak accident or, or something happens in my life and I don't get to live another day, I know within the depths of my soul, I know that I'm going to heaven because I believe in the way, the truth, and the life. That's the paradox. And Martha was saying, look, I know that you can raise my brother Lazarus, but I also know that I will see him again because I believe in the resurrection paradox that we have. Look at verse 25. 
Jesus makes this statement. And I want you to hear what he's saying because he's saying this statement to us today in 2020. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He's saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Even though Lazarus is dead, because he believes in me, he shall live. Verse 26 says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha looked at him and she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. The son of God who has come into the world. That was Martha's statement of belief in the midst of her despair, in the midst of her pain, in the midst of of the loss of her beloved brother. If you keep on reading, you'll see that Jesus decided to heal and to raise Lazarus from the dead. But this statement that Martha is making, she's making it in the midst of her grief. She's saying, yes, I believe that you are the Christ. Listen to me, even though I prayed for you to come and you didn't come when I wanted you to come, I believe that you are the Christ. Even though I experienced disappointment because I thought that because of our relationship, you would have come quicker. I'm a little upset that my brother is gone. I still believe. I still believe that you are the Christ, the one who has come into the world. Do you see the faith of Martha in the midst of crisis? What the world needs to see now is a church that has faith in the midst of disappointment and crisis. It's easy to praise God when everything's going great. It's easy to praise God when the stock market is high. It's easy to praise God when you've got money in the bank and you're not having to cover your face and wash your hands every three minutes. It's easy to praise God when everything's good, when all your children are healthy. But the question is, can we praise God in the midst of a pandemic? Can we praise God in the midst of difficulty? Can we worship him and affirm the fact that he is still Lord in the midst of our grief and our disappointment and our distractions and our difficulties as we process the reality of what's going on around us? Can we still make the same statement that Martha made? That I believe that you are the Christ and the Son of God. Listen to me. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus had to die again. Eventually, Lazarus had to go back to that same grave. Jesus performed the miracle and delayed death. But ultimately, Lazarus had to die again. But we know that because he believed in Jesus, the resurrection, that ultimately he lived eternally. There's a paradox, believers. On one hand, we're believing for a miracle. On the other hand, we have to make sure that we're ready for every worst case scenario. We have to be ready for anything. We have to believe that God has plans for us, which he does. We have to believe that God has life for us, which he does. I want you to consider right now, you are blessed because you are breathing. You are alive right now. You are blessed right now. 
If you have family surrounding you, you are blessed right now. If you're by yourself in your apartment because nobody lives with you and you're socially distanced, but you are watching this broadcast and you know that there are believers in your church who care about you, even though you can't meet physically, you know that there are people who are checking up on you. Count your blessings. You got to be ready to live today. I believe that God is awakening our senses to the now, the now. We, we get so focused on tomorrow that we miss now. And God is showing us how to embrace now again and to be ready to live it means that every day we wake up because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We take today and we make the most of it. God wants you to embrace now. Be ready for now. Be ready for life. But listen to me. He also wants you to be ready for death. The word ready means to be in a suitable state for a situation, fully prepared, completely prepared or in fit condition for immediate action or use. There's a slight difference between preparation and readiness, preparedness and readiness. We could spend a lot of time preparing for things that never, ever happen. On the flip side, there are things that we did not have time to prepare for, but we have to be ready to navigate them. Perfect example, the coronavirus. How many people were not prepared to have their kids out of school? How many people were not prepared for restaurants to be shut down? How many people were not prepared, actively prepared, preparing for the day when we would not be able to gather together as the church physically? Many of us were not prepared for this, but there are a population of us who were ready for it. We were ready because ultimately our relationship with God is what sustains us in the midst of whatever uncertainty is out there. Because if it's not coronavirus today, it'll be something else five or 10 years from now, 30 years from now. There are waves, there are cycles, there are seasons. And if you keep on living, You'll find yourself in a season where you have to be like Martha and you have to affirm your belief in the giver of life, your belief in the resurrection, your belief in the Savior. So my heart today is that you would be ready for anything, ready to live, but that you'll also be ready to die. As we see coronavirus do what it's doing in our nation the church must be ready to respond. We have to be strong so that those who don't know Jesus can feel the love of Christ in the midst of this. We have to be solid in what we believe so that we can effectively minister to those folks who are dealing with the grave realities of this disease. We have to know and believe the gospel for ourselves so that we can share it with the dying world. What is the gospel? The gospel can be described in four stages. It starts with the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see, he provided, he created it for us to enjoy. There were no problems, no issue. There was no coronavirus in the Garden of Eden. There was only pure communion with the Father in heaven. There was no social distancing in the Garden of Eden. It was God in pure communion with Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve were together and one. In fact, they were naked. There was no sense of shame, no sense of guilt in the garden. 
But when we keep on reading the book of Genesis, when we get to chapter 3, we see the entrance of a serpent. That serpent is the devil. He convinced Eve and tempted her to eat of the fruit. Eve ate the fruit, gave it to Adam. Adam ate the fruit. Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. Sin had entered into the picture. And what was the result? God told them that if they ate of that tree, they would surely die. And the first thing that died was their perfect relationship with the Lord. Sin had created a gulf now between God who is holy and now man who is sinful. Since the fall, we've seen the impacts of sin in our culture. Death, violence, people doing unquestionable, unmentionable things to other people. Wars and rumors of wars, disease and pestilence. And if you read your scripture, you'll see that the scripture indicates that all of this was going to happen. Maybe not the way that we're seeing it happen now in the sense that the word coronavirus is not in the scriptures. But the scriptures speak of pestilence. The scriptures speak of plagues. And that's all because of the reality of sin and the fact that we live in a fallen world, which is why someone can love Jesus and still succumb to the coronavirus. It's not that they didn't have faith. It's just that they are dealing with the impacts of a fallen world. But we believe that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to redeem the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the offer we're making today. For those of you who are watching, who don't believe in Jesus, maybe you just you're following this broadcast because somebody shared it with you and you figured, hey, I'm at home, I don't have anything else to do, so I might as well tune in and watch. Maybe you're someone you've participated in church and denominations and you went to church because your mom told you you should go to church and even now you're just doing what you're doing because you feel like it's the right thing to do. I want to let you know that you need to embrace Jesus as the resurrection, as the life. You need to embrace him as Savior. How do we embrace him as Savior? We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. What do we believe? One, that sin is real. Two, that we are sinful, we have fallen short of his glory. Three, that the only way to get to heaven is to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. And so this is something that we believe. We turn from our wickedness. We repent for our sins. We embrace Jesus as Lord. And the fourth part of the story I'm sharing with you, we started off with creation. We continued with the fall. We just talked about Jesus who has brought redemption. But one day, Jesus is going to bring restoration. In the beginning, everything was perfect. We're dealing with all types of issues and problems in our world today. But one day, God is going to restore everything that's been broken. One day, heaven will be our home. Let me tell you something. There's no coronavirus in heaven. There's no problems, no drama in heaven. And we'll be in a sanitized place with the Lord himself. And guess what? Lazarus will be there. Martha will be there. I reflect on some people in my life who've been significant. My grandparents died believing in Jesus. They'll be there. And guess what? When I leave this earth, I'll be there too. My question is, will you be there? Are you ready for anything? No, you got to go to the store in a couple of days and stock up again. Hopefully you'll get some toilet paper. Those things are important, but let me tell you something. There's nothing more important than your soul. 
My desire for you as a pastor in the Lord's church is that your soul would be right. So make the commitment to Jesus today. Make it today. And for those of us who already believe, let's walk well with this paradox. Let's believe for healing. But let's also acknowledge that perhaps everybody's not going to make it through this. Who are you supposed to be reaching out into your family? Who are you supposed to be praying for in your family? Who are you supposed to be covering? As you pray, you pray that the coronavirus would pass over. But you also need to pray that those who don't know Jesus in your family would be saved. You need to pray that your friends who don't know Jesus would be saved. You need to pray that the Lord would give you a word, give you influence, give you some way to share this life-saving news. I tell you right now, if someone has the cure to the coronavirus, I'm sure in the midst of everything that's going on, that person would want to get that cure to as many people as possible. If it's the verified, authenticated cure, that person would want to get that cure to the world. And here we have the cure, not for the coronavirus, but we have a cure for the virus of sin. His name is Jesus. My heart's desire is that you would receive him as Lord. Father, I thank you for our time spent together. I pray for those who are watching, who sincerely want Jesus as Lord and Savior. They are cautious regarding the virus known as COVID-19. But now, dear God, they've realized that they need to be cautious about the virus called sin. And now they've heard what I've shared. They want the same faith that Martha had, the same faith that Lazarus had, the faith that if they die, they will be resurrected. Father, I pray that you would save right now. People are scared concerning this virus. But Lord, I pray that they would be settled in their relationship with you. The coronavirus is scary. But what's scarier than the coronavirus is living an eternity apart from you. Father, save all those who cry out right now from their living rooms, from their cars, from their desk. Save them now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision for Christ today, I want you to take a moment to drop it into the comments. We'd love to get to know you and to hear from you. I also want to invite you to go to our website, nvim.org, hit the Contact Us button, and we'd love to get to know you and to walk with you virtually through this journey of you accepting and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. My heart's desire is that you would be ready for anything. Get ready for the beautiful life of eternity. Maybe we'll get 80 years, maybe 90 years, maybe 100 years. But nothing will compare, nothing will compare to the time that we'll spend in eternity with our Creator. Won't you join us for just a few more moments of worship as we continue to lift up our eyes towards the one who is our resurrection. His name is Jesus. <laughs>